Great Expectations for Global Perspectives. Today I have Melinda on the podcast. She shares her experience of moving from France to Nigeria and finally to Austria. We will be talking about language barriers, forensic science and the pursuit of a new career opportunity. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Melinda. Thank you so much. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for making the time to be on the podcast today. Um, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves because I think it's best to heard in their own in their own words. So please introduce yourself, Melinda. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm Melinda Mancibo. I'm 42 years old and at the moment I would label myself as a forensic advisor and trainer. Mm -hmm. And because this is an expert entrepreneur podcast um, and a little bit, you can hear it in your accent, um, you're, you're French, right? <laughs> Correct. Yes, I was born and raised in France. Um, I also have Spanish roots. I'm actually half Spanish and also quarter Vietnamese. Wow, that's a lot of nationalities. <laughs> um, and you have a French citizenship though, right? Or do you have all of the other citizenships as well? I have the French citizenship and Spanish citizenship. Mm -hmm. Well, they're both European, so I guess they don't differ too much. But um, even if Correct. you're French and Spanish, um, how come you chose to live in Austria? So I moved to Austria um, because of a job, because I applied to a position that was based in uh, Vienna, um, in UNODC. So that's the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, uh, which is one of the uh, UN agencies and its headquarters is in Vienna, Austria. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I moved in 2018. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is a classic career path for a forensic advisor or is this, um, is this something completely, um, completely wild that you're doing or is this like very stereotypical? Um, I don't know enough about forensic advisors, maybe expand a little bit on what <laughs> That's that That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of uh, forensic scientists, I would say, uh, because people mostly start with a uh, with being analytical and working on the substance, they are maybe civil servants in their country or they can work in the private sector, maybe in some institutions in some countries. Um, and after some years, maybe they can consider a switch of career. One of the possibilities can be a capacity building at the international level. In that case, UNODC can come Uh, in mind to the ones who uh, have expertise in the field of drugs, for example, because UNODC has a, a great portfolio and mandate um, that relates to, to drugs. So it, it's not a fully isolated or, or a crazy move. It can happen. That's true that it's only a few positions that exist uh, also in UNODC for forensic scientists. So it is still quite uh, rare, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And when you say you worked for the UN, um, 
what was your day-to-day -day work as a forensic scientist there? Do you answer emails like the rest of uh, the office employees or did you work in a lab or what, what was your day-to-day -day like in this position? Great question. So I have to say, yes, I do answer some emails. I did receive a bunch of emails uh, every single day. There's no holidays in the UN. So from Monday to Sunday, from 1st of January to 31st of December, there are mails that are being sent out, especially considering the fact that people work in different locations around the globe. So people have different times and also different uh, public holidays, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also had the chance to to work in the lab because I was managing the, the UNODC laboratory and I was very blessed to, to work on the 15th floor of a building with a magnificent view uh, on the Danube and, and with colleagues uh, that were very present also in the laboratory because they had a very technical work. I had both the uh, admin communication management work and also substantive work in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. And um, considering you're, you're French, you moved to Austria, a German speaking country, but it was all via the UN. Um, I'm assuming you had a very big melting pot of nations at your fingertips. Um, what, what is that like working in such a diverse environment where Everybody has a different background. Everybody is in a foreign, like most of everybody is in a foreign country. Do you form your own subcultures or did you feel like you really arrived in Austria and you have like lots of German friends or did you learn German? What was your integration process like? Thank you. So actually, um, I before I moved to Austria, I was in Nigeria. So the first move I have made from France was actually from Paris to Abuja, which is the capital city, the, the political capital city of Nigeria. So I already had like a, an immersion in a very uh, different cultural environment. That was also with the UNODC and was uh, incredible and incredible uh, challenges as well sometimes um, for integration as well, because it was... Uh, It was so different from where I was, I want to say. And then this move to Austria with the UN, you're very right. It was uh, really incredible to have so many uh, different cultures and languages within the building. So there's, there's Austrian staff, but there's a lot of international staff. So when, when one walks in the corridor from, for example, their office to the water dispenser, they come across maybe 30 or 40 offices where they can hear speaking Chinese, Japanese, uh, Swahili, all different languages. So it's completely incredible. That's something that definitely fascinated me and that I found very exciting in the UN. And the UN is a little bit of a bubble. So uh, the integration to Austria was interesting because it, it basically demanded some will to, to integrate in Austria because one can actually not even have to do that, that move to try to integrate to Austria when they work in the UN. They can just live in their bubble and, and not have to, to integrate themselves to the country. And it does, it does happen also in the UN. I really liked the idea of moving to Austria and also speaking German. 
and some have a hard time to believe it, but I had fun learning German, taking classes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is still the challenge that I felt the German I was learning in the classroom was quite different from the one I'm hearing on the street. <laughs> so, I can't believe this, yes. <laughs> I'm still learning German and I will consider learning dialect and Viennese at some point to feel better integrated, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's, let's go back a bit because you mentioned Nigeria before. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has all been with the UN. So I'm assuming your immigration story was quite smooth on maybe diplomatic visas or how did the process work for you did you have to submit lots of papers what kind of papers were you immediately allowed to work everywhere like there's a lot that goes within an immigration process and i just want to hear how that worked for you moving to austria was relatively easy as a french french citizen uh through the through the un uh Moving to Nigeria was complex, even with um, the UN facilitation and the paperwork that is normally kind of standardized. There are a number of challenges to get at that time to get the visa. There were there were a lot of challenges, so uh, it was sometimes difficult to have the proper visa while being there or while being on break on holidays in France to go back to Nigeria. It was it was uneasy to get the authorization despite um, the UN channels that normally would authorize that or facilitate it but it's it was challenging and and a lot of countries also in West Africa um, have complex processes that makes it difficult for for some people to get a visa and the proper authorization to live there and work there mm-hmm so did you did you submit everything to the UN or did you have to do certain visa um, applications yourself as well? Or how did that work, the process? Could you be very hands-off or did you have to be very involved in it? Um, I also had to be involved. We had to be involved, even though it's facilitated. Uh, everyone is very, um, is very busy and sometimes to get the, the visa on time, one needs to do the follow-up. If if it's left uh, passively, if it's left passively, sorry, then it's unlikely to get it on time. So it's a lot. It was a lot of matter, a matter of following up, and I don't want to be using the the word pushing, but there there was some some energy to uh, to send in order to get something back. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely that, and also at that time when I moved to my to Nigeria. I had a partner that joined me also to Nigeria and my my life partner. And this was especially challenging also for him to get the visa, despite our stages of being spouse regarding the UN. He had to do more of the work. Uh, the UN would facilitate by providing with some support letters, etc. But he would have to do the work to physically go to the embassy queue, Uh, follow up again, even had an accident, like a bike accident one time, like uh, leaving the the embassy that made him not being able to join me actually for for a few weeks. So it was definitely a difficult process Mm -hmm. for Nigeria. And then 
for Austria, everything looked very smooth compared to the experience in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that when you have a very <laughs> difficult experience and then a very smooth one. Um, as a European citizen, I think you have an advantage as well. Yeah, um, correct. So um, that that is very hard to compare then, I, I'm assuming. Um, but do you remember maybe like the timeframes you had for each each visa process, just to have a little bit of a comparison? Like how long did um, it take you for the Nigerian visa to come through? I remember the whole process. So it was not only the visa. There were there was a lot of paperwork with the UN. It took six months from the moment I had the um, the answer that I was selected for the job and the actual day where I was uh, traveling and I got there. For Austria, it took a couple of months. It could even have technically taken less, uh, but I was also wrapping up the work in Nigeria. And then I also took a couple of weeks break in between. Mm -hmm. So in one month, uh, technically it could have been done and there was no, no visa issue at all at that moment mm -hmm. to go to Austria. Okay. Cool. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds very interesting that you went directly from Nigeria to, to Austria, but yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then your partner, I'm assuming joined you in Austria as well or later yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's a question that i get sometimes so he came later but we actually separated when we were in austria okay. so but it was also easy process for for him to go to to austria okay so it wasn't a lack of process okay Good yeah <laughs> but um yeah so once you how long were you in nigeria for uh two and a half years mm -hmm. And did you get a, do you feel like you had a good understanding of the culture or was it a hard to integrate there as well? I want to very modestly say that I had a little understanding of the culture because when I, um, when I want to talk about Nigeria, I always precise there are more than 250 ethnies that mm -hmm. live in Nigeria. So Nigeria was created, I think, in 1960. And it's a melting pot of so many tribes. So it is very complex to have an idea of what is Nigeria. It's a, such a mixture and uh, so many blended languages and religions and beliefs that mm -hmm. in two and a half years, I just got a little idea of it. And any Nigerians in, in a way also have a limited idea of what Nigeria is because of that, just because it's very, very diverse. Um, also, because of its um, safety status, I want to say, we were not recommended to have certain practices. We couldn't live like the normal Nigerian person. And we were extremely visible as Western people, for example. So things like walking on the street were not really too much of an option at night, for example. Even at day, it wasn't necessarily uh, recommended because they're quite some kidnappings happening over there. So integration was was done through some channels, um, but a, a limited number of channels. Mm -hmm. I feel grateful because I had the opportunity to, to um, meet a lot of Nigerians through work, but also through hobbies and for example, salsa at that time. 
and that was a magnificent channel to to get across mm -hmm. uh, different Nigerian people. So is that um, that would be the next good question? I would say, what other channels have you used to um, to find friends in a new culture, build your community? Um, did you use the same ones you used in Nigeria for Austria, considering they're very different cultures? True. Uh, dance is one is one of them for sure. Um, I, I tried salsa a little bit here in Austria, but it was pretty different from from Nigeria. So I I went back to my original dance. I want to say because I'm I had learned tango actually in Paris, and there was no tango in Nigeria. So it was kind of put into, um, how do you say, a bracket for, for a while uh, in posts. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to Austria, there is actually a little community that dances tango. So it was an excellent way for me to, um, to meet international people and a lot of Austrian people as well. So tango is one of them and, and sport in general, like, and especially martial arts, for example, um, have been very uh, useful for for meeting people mm -hmm. have you used any like online communities or tools to connect with these people or did you just look up hobbies online and then went there or is there like any research that went into this where you were like this is the community i want to join or what was your selection process even with the german classes how do you how do you know which one is something that fits to you how did you make yeah. this community your own so for for tango for example in austria it's very easy i found because there's a calendar it's called i think tango calendar where all the events are recorded the classes the events so just have to look at this calendar and you know where to go and when and slowly i would um, build like this some habits i would discover places and see the places i liked and then by discussing with people that i would get closer to then i would go to the same events for example so for 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 that it was really easy for the german classes was also very easy because there's in the un there is um there are a couple of options to learn german and they're right there so they are in the building they do adverts every semester so one comes across them when they go to the cafeteria or when they enter the building, they will see it. So it's very easy and accessible and obvious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Did you, did you feel the language barrier a bit in Austria or I don't know, for that matter, in Nigeria, did you, did you feel like the language barrier ever hindered you in either doing your work or finding friends or building lasting relationships? Thank you. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Of course, there are many parameters that come into play when it gets to relationships, for example. But for me, I feel it as a barrier. Um, when I'm in France, I can really use my language and talk to almost anybody on the street. Um, in Nigeria, there is the official language of English. So I got better at it, but I could speak it before I went there. But there are also three other um, official languages that are Igbo, Yoruba, and Hausa. And most of the people would try to speak at least one of the three and maybe some little words of the three. So I also did the same. And that actually was an excellent way to connect to people because they would appreciate it a lot. They would laugh. Um, 
and it, it, it allowed really like friendly interactions, even if it could be at the surface level, but sometimes it would lead to, oh, like, oh, this person is really open to the Nigerian culture, so let's go to this person and let's show her more. So I had really great experiences of Nigerians sharing more of their lives and what they knew about the country thanks to this uh, curiosity towards their languages. Mm -hmm. And but still also quite some people from lower social classes wouldn't speak even one of those official languages and they would uh, stick to their own tribe language and I guess themselves they're not so integrated. So in that case, it was hard to to connect, was harder to connect for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think I developed a lot there actually nonverbal language and capacity to understand people. Mm -hmm. And this really helped me when I moved to Austria, even though I believe countries and cultures have different nonverbal codes sometimes, it actually helps. So at the beginning when I didn't speak German, there were still a lot of things that I could understand from the people or make myself understand. and yeah, I also had some some funny stories or anecdotes because of the language barrier that happened to me in in uh, Austria for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, humor is also an excellent way to connect with people. So correct. <laughs> yeah, yes. you can always reuse these uh, amazing stories. Um, but yeah, no, super interesting. So cool that you learn about the nonverbal communication already, and then coming to Austria. I mean. Mm-hmm. I think most people in Austria do speak German, but um, you've been, how long have you been in Austria? Uh, 2018, so five years now. Mm-hmm. Would you say that your your community is mostly international or do you have a lot of Austrian, Austrian friends at this point? So France, the closest one, I think it's mainly international. When it gets to friends slash acquaintance, probably more um, Austrians. Mm-hmm. So you feel very rooted now here after five years? Or... Quite, yes, yes. I mean, even myself, I have a hard time to uh, define myself with like grounded roots. I tend to qualify myself with um, the Aryan roots, the ones that grow, you know, in the air, the, the plants that don't need earth to have roots. <laughs> I, I qualify myself mm-hmm. like this. So I think it fits quite well also for, for Austria. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good analogy with the plants. Um, they, um, apparently you feel so rooted, even if it's air roots here, yeah, that you decided to build your own business here, right? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is the plan now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to expand a little bit on what's happening next for you? Why you're outgrowing uh, the UN for the moment and deciding to do the I don't know if this is the classic forensic career path now but (laughs) uh, expanding on your own yes Um, I believe I like change and I like challenges so um, in the last 17 years of my career I did change a few times of, of career I started with crimes investigation then I moved to drug analysis and then with the UN, Nigeria, and then Austria. And I remember when I moved to Austria, I had my first performance interview with my chief and I, with my boss, and I told him, oh, I just wanted to 
to ask you how long you are expecting me to be here because myself, I think I would see myself somewhere else in five years. Like I really like change. Of course, comfort is, it feels good, but um, I know that I believe in change. So I already announced him at the beginning that five years after I would be somewhere else basically. And I got to, to know the work in Vienna and I started getting comfortable. I couldn't even have left maybe earlier, but thanks to the challenges offered by the pandemic, I actually stayed longer because it's, it became quite different. Uh, we had to, to be very creative in order to adapt our work, etc. So in the end, I stayed the, the five years. But as soon as 2023 started, I had already the clock ticking in my head. I was like, oh, it's going to be five years, girl. So um, then, yeah, I decided to, to make the move, the surprising move for a lot of people because I had an established, very nice career and position. Um, but I'm very much yeah, looking forward to, to this change and a new challenge. Um, regarding your question of the rarity of the process, I believe you're right. Um, I don't know anyone who has done this move. And I'm curious to what it will bring. Um, there are people who, who have their, their own company in forensics and capacity building. There are not so many as far as I'm aware. And a lot of the times they are um, retired. So it came more from, oh, let's continue to work after I'm retired. And I see the potential for, for a lot of things to do in the area of forensic capacity building, meaning we can really help countries to get better at forensics by training them or advising them, advising them, etc. So I am happy to, to do it now and not to wait. Mm -hmm. So your goal is to help build processes together with governments to for a stable forensic process is that what you will be offering as a service yes basically yes um so i think first phase would be to evaluate the needs of those for example governments or institutions and then offer different services such as yeah training and maybe Uh, specifications for instruments that they may need in order to to analyze the evidence that they would get. Then through which way is still um, to be defined because a lot of the times those governments don't have the financial means to do it. So that is why um, my some of my partners may be still the United Nations or international organizations that through their mechanisms have funds that allow this capacity building process to happen. If mm. that makes sense. Yeah. And um, if you look at forensic processes that you've seen so far, what is the what is the goal? What is the outcome of like stable forensic processes? What is achieved when when the when you've consulted them? Like what is the outcome? So um, what is very important to to me and to a lot of people and also to the United Nations is, for example, human rights, meaning that we want to protect human rights. We don't want any innocent in jail. Uh, 
forensic can support by analyzing the evidence um, not to have innocent in jails. So that is one major outcome that would be um, that would be a motivator for for um, my company and for my work. Is that and your your intrinsic motivation as well? Your most number it, one goal to help people. Exactly. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and it's very hard to give a number on that because I always want to ask people like, how many people can we tolerate being in jail by being innocent? And it's kind of, we want a a zero percent there, right? So it is definitely the yeah what what carries me, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I'm also thinking of the countries that I would support the most, like in a as a um, as a priority. I, I wouldn't elaborate on which are those countries just now, but basically there are still a number of countries where there are wrongful convictions, and they would be on top of my list. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That is such a fascinating topic. And I'm going to ask you this because you're a specialist and you have seen a lot of systems and considering forensics is very much tied to the bureaucratic and legal processes in in countries. Do you want to draw any comparisons between systems or what's generally good or generally bad practices in the area or where you go like this is a classic thing you see all the time happening or any any other things to make it more tangible for the audience to understand what, what the things you do are or what drives you are thanks thanks yeah so one of the things to look at is indeed the whole political bureaucratic legal system in place um and try to see where there is an opportunity for it to get better There are countries where there's a lot of lack of means, financial means, especially in institutions like the police, for example, or gendarmerie or the justice system. And unfortunately, there's also then a part of the workers for these institutions that can um, more easily get corrupted. So this is definitely one of the major challenges that we can see when when we work at the UN and that we visit countries and that we assess the situations. Um, and therefore, it's very it can be very hard to imagine how to change a whole system. So a very, very important part is to remember that our work may just be a water, like a drop of water in the ocean, but slowly it will build up. Like for racism, it took years and generations and generations before we, we in some countries, try to have the racism fading away, and we can see it's still it's still ongoing. So that's one major part. I hope it was clear enough to make yeah. it tangible. What are your thoughts, Barbara? No, I'm just wondering if you work together with. Um when you work together with a government, who do you work with? Do you work with policymakers, the police in general, um, ministries? Who is your main point of contact? Or do you have a large network of partners who support you besides maybe the UN? Or Because as a freelancer, it's, um, I'm assuming it's very hard to change. It's a David and Goliath situation in my head where one person um, is trying to 
understand a system and change it. You are fully right. Yeah, that's why the partnerships with international organizations is paramount because they've been there for generations and they already have built some relationships in some countries, sometimes very solid, sometimes still building up, sometimes they are very weak. So it really depends. Uh, but for me, it would be mandatory to, to liaise and to partner with those institutions. Um, and they are also in need of technical support, some people that are available, and that's what I could offer, this availability, this ability to go to the field. Because we talked earlier about my work and the emails and working in the lab, but I was also going to the field for some missions. And this is the part that I want to actually uh, build up now, the, the one where one person is available to deploy um, fast according to the needs. So what, are, what would be the other counterparts indirectly would be indeed like the ministries, uh, the police, the gendarmerie, justice. It can be sometimes the uh, education or health <clears throat> ministry because in some countries they are the ones who have the infrastructure and the equipment to do the forensics. So it really varies. But yeah, generally the end users, the, the one who would benefit from the service would be people who belong to police or forensic institution. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. And um, the business will be based in, in Vienna, right? Yes, that's yeah. the, the aim. I would like it to be uh, Vienna based indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And have you thought about how to set up a business in Vienna? Have you already started the process? Yes, thanks. Um, yes, I'm very, very blessed to be in Austria because I have the feeling that there are a number of institutions that can support a, a self-employed person. Um, so I started looking at what were the options and actually the city of Vienna started um, talking to me about the Vienna Business Agency. I got a counterpart there, like a focal point. I'm so grateful about her support because she she sends me different events I could attend, etc. And there are other institutions, there are also funding agencies. So it seems that it's a great country where to start a business. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I, I would like to, to make it here. Mm -hmm. That's super cool that you that you are feel so supported even as um even as a foreigner, I would say. Um, have you have do you know the steps you need to take or is anything in a process unclear or do you know what to turn to, except for maybe the Vienna Business Agency? Um, <laughs> do you have any Thanks. questions in the process in general? Just to, um... I had I had a lot of things in my head, and I came up with a mind map because I saw there is there is abundance of possibilities, mm -hmm. and so I needed to put it in writing. So I have a very colorful mind map with all the different options actually and um, so I will take it step by step and I want to see what are the priorities etc. The way I started for me was to secure my health insurance for example. I thought okay now I need a health insurance and there's one that is specific for uh, self-employed people so I enrolled there. Uh, second step for me may sound surprising but it was like um 
business bank account. And it was actually my first Austrian bank account because with the UN and living in Europe as a French citizen, I didn't need any bank account. I could use my French one. So I'm, I'm doing really things uh, step by step. Tax number was also number three because now I will likely mm. have to declare um, things which I didn't have to with, uh, with the UN. And uh, yeah, thinking of a business plan and yeah, a number, a number of different steps in order to create the company. One that I've started, I, I think it's called Giza, is to request for a Gewerbeschein, so a trading license for the job I want to do. And this one may be a little bit challenging, but I, I started, so schau mal, like they say here, let's see where it will bring me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I think that's also an important one for, for starting a, a business here when one has my qualifications. Mm -hmm. That's all very, very good. Um, good mind mapping you've done there. Um, but also nice to hear that you feel supported by um, the Vienna Business Agency and the institutions here to guide you through the process. Did you yeah. have any language barrier going through the process or was it all straightforward? <laughs> It was challenging for the um, for the Gewerbeschein because all of it is in German. Um, I didn't see, I didn't find any English version or other languages version. So I used a translator, like online translator, but because it's a little bit technical, I uh, was quite unsure of where, what I had to tick, for example, or what I had to fill in. I did feel supported by... Um, someone I met actually through the Vienna Business Agency. Um, actually, it was an event. It, I, it was not exactly the Vienna Business Agency, but it was an event that was a couple of months ago, um, a game organized in the city. And I met someone with whom we discussed and she came, she's German, and she came uh, to my place and accompanied me uh, in with filling the, the different um the different fields to fill in for mm -hmm. the giza so in that sense i felt again very supported that's such a nice turnout for uh, for networking i would say like yes <laughs> and Perfectly. um maybe that's another important thing how do you feel um like the self-employed scene in vienna have have you met any connections there where you could um spitball ideas or have somebody else look over your business plan or do you feel like there's a there's a scene where you could turn to if you had like for people who've done this before because institutions are very very helpful because to know the landscape and the um you know support systems and bureaucratic systems but sometimes it's also nice in the community in the network to have people who are actually doing it or actually using the support system and what helped them and you know exchange war stories if you will <laughs> um, correct yeah actually yes yes um i'm very grateful i met for example through um a tango friend, I met a tax advisor, so that was also very useful for what I want to do. Also, um, I had a friend in Nigeria that actually moved to Vienna a little bit earlier than me. And through him, I also met someone else who's self-employed and who 
also invited me to contact his tax advisor because maybe my company is a bit uh, complex because it will it will gather countries all over the world. So from the tax point of view, I think it would be great to be accompanied. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, once again, through an event organized by the Vienna Business Agency that was uh, named the Business Body Event, something like this, I met a few people and I already met again with a couple of those persons to see how we could be kind of business buddies in the in the long run. So that's very exciting as well. That's super cool. Yeah, awesome. Is there anything else you want to share throughout um, your immigration process, your community building process or your business building process? I think, yeah, maybe what I would want to say is to remember that one is not alone. I think when we're in solo and self-employed, we may get the feeling of being alone. And actually, I guess there are loads of people out there who have sometimes the same feeling and that go through the same challenges. So I definitely would encourage people to yeah, push doors and, and see what's out there and meet people and create connections. Um, I think connection and cooperation is, is the best that the human beings can do. So um, that would be, yeah what i what i want to share mm-hmm. that's a that's a nice finish find your find your community find the people who are who are going through similar things i can totally concur with that message um, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story and um my pleasure <laughs> yeah i'm fascinated still by all you've done so far and all the best with the business going forward thank you thanks a lot yeah thanks for to, that hear an update sometime soon um sounds good yeah Yeah. (laughs) thank you so much thank you barbara